Thanks for being here. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to close out a decade with you. So that's why I'm here. But I want you to think back as we start, when you learned to pray. Now, for some of you, that's probably like a, a long time ago, back when you were a kid. Maybe for some of you, you're new to the faith, and this is something that's, that's new to you or just recently you've, you've tried to figure this out. But for me, it's when I was a kid. It was when I was, I was very young. I, I grew up in the church for the most part. And uh, when I was a kid, there, was, there were three things that I had to do before I could pray. Now, I don't know if it was ever explained to you like that, but it was almost like a routine. And I, I knew that if I didn't do these three things, then I don't think I was allowed to pray. Maybe you know what they are. I had to close my eyes. I had to bow my head. And I had to, say it with me, fold my hands, right? Okay. So I had to do those three things. Those are the prerequisites. And if I didn't do those things then I don't think I was allowed to pray. And so there would be times when I was in Sunday school where we had to wait for John to finally close his eyes before we could start praying. I mean, over and over again. I want you to know that those are not the prerequisites for praying. Those are the, those are the things that we do to keep kids from being distracted while we pray, right? <laughs> but my fear, and this is my fear, is that, that we never really learn the right way to pray, or maybe even the meaning of prayer. Pastor and author Timothy Keller describes prayer like a, like a pill that would save your life. Now, if you knew that you had a disease that, that, that would, would just ultimately lead to your death, if you didn't take this pill every morning and every night, do you think that there would be a day where you were just too busy to, to remember to take the pill? Or you think there would be a day where your, your day just got got so cluttered with things that, oh, I just, I neglected to take it, or, or it just slipped my mind, or do you think it'd be more likely that because you knew that the power that that pill has over your life, that there couldn't be anything more important? There couldn't be anything that was, it was in your way of reminding yourself to make sure every night, every morning, you took that pill. That's how he describes prayer. You can't forget it. You can't ignore it. You can't be more occupied with anything else. Instead of prayer being something that we do every day, like eating and breathing and walking and talking, sometimes prayer has become like that little glass box that's on the wall that says, break in case of emergency. That's often how we view prayer. One of the things that comes to my mind is uh, from a, a very, very small scene from the movie Space Jam. Now, if you haven't seen Space Jam, then shame on you, but here's, here's how it works. Space Jam, you got Michael Jordan, the Looney Tunes, and then all these NBA players lose their talents from these space aliens, okay? So it sounds weird. It's a good movie. And there's this scene where they're trying to get all their talents back. And so you got all these players doing all these different things. They're in the hospital. They're getting counseling. They're getting therapy. They're doing all this type of stuff, trying to figure out how do I get my talent back? And then you get this one scene. It's only a couple seconds where you see Charles Barkley, and he's in church, and he's praying. And here's his prayer. I promise I'll never swear again. I'll never get another technical. I'll never trash talk. That's his prayer. That, that's him bargaining with God, saying, God, I, I, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And if you know Charles Barkley, he's never going to hold up his end of that bargain, right? I mean, that just wasn't going to work. But oftentimes, this is maybe how we view prayer. A while back, Chris asked me to share the message this weekend. And I immediately knew what I needed to share because it's something that God has been teaching me in my own life recently, and it's about prayer, about what we think of it, 
how we do it, maybe how to do it better. These are the things that, that are running through my mind. Author F.B. Myers says this, this is a great quote. He says, the, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. Think about that for a second. I mean, that, this, it just kind of blows my mind. In fact, you've probably heard this before. I think that maybe it's been even said from this platform before. But if you were to wake up this morning and every prayer that you prayed yesterday was answered, what in your life would be different? What in the world would be different? Maybe, maybe over the past week, if every prayer that you prayed over the past week was answered, you woke up and all of it was answered, what would be different? Whose life would be different? My fear, my gut-wrenching fear is that many of us wouldn't even be able to answer that. Or at the very worst, a couple of us in here won the lottery. We have to figure this out. Prayer is such an important aspect of the Christian life, and many of us, we're just, we're forgetting to take the pill. We're forgetting to take it. Greg Steer is a nationally known youth ministry promoter of evangelism, and uh, he's got his own organization. He's written some books, but he wrote this article that, that captured my attention, and so I read it, and his article was called, If I Were the Devil, Here's How I Would Attack Youth Ministers. And so I read it, and here's one of the things he said. He said, if I were the devil... I'd get youth, youth leaders to minimize the importance of intercessory prayer in their own lives and their youth ministry meetings. I'd have them focus all of their time on programming and preparation, leaving hardly any time for prayer. I'd so crowd their schedules and programs with good things that they miss the best things from God wrought through prayer. Doesn't that make you think just for a minute? Like, like what are we missing? And what are, we, what are we missing when it comes to prayer? What are we doing in our lives that's, that's minimized prayer to something that we do out of routine? Are we too busy to pray? I want to change our perspective this morning on prayer. And what I want to do is give you four ways that you could change the way that you view prayer. Four ways to pray. And I think these are significant. They all come from a single text that's found in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And so if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Colossians chapter 4. That'll be our main text for today. But th this text that we get, these words come sort of as like a bookend uh, to this letter that Paul wrote. Uh, it's about Christ being exalted above everything else. But these are like his final instructions to the church. And we are tempted to gloss over them, but they're not words that we should gloss over. They're, in fact, a powerful reminder of how we should treat prayer. So I want to invite you to to, to stand with me as we read our text like we do every week. This will be Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. This is what Paul writes. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Thank you. You guys can be seated. It's a very simple text, but it's one with a powerful precedent towards prayer and one that we have to, that we can follow. And, and so again, I want to show you four ways, and these should be very simple, but I think these four ways, if we were to do them, if we were to make a commitment to maybe try to implement these in, into the way that we pray, I believe, I truly believe that it could change your life. It, change, it definitely will change the way that you pray. The first one is this, is that we need to pray with persistence. We have to pray with persistence. You see this right from the beginning of the text when Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer. 
Devote yourselves to prayer. This means to continue steadfastly. In other words, be persistent. Paul says it in another one of his letters. He says, pray continuously. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.17. So if you're looking in 2020 to memorize scripture, I've got one for you already. Pray continuously. But what does this mean? And what, what does it look like? To pray with persistence, it often doesn't come naturally. It's a practice. It takes, it takes diligent work. It takes character. And we live in a world that's filled with instant gratification, right? We, we all know what that means is that we want what we want and we want it now, right? This idea of persistence, you don't have to wait for things anymore. I'm old enough to remember um, when, when, when I was younger that if I wanted to see a new movie, uh, I had to go to a movie store, right? How many of you guys know, remember those days, right? We, we wanted to go see a movie, you had to go to the movie store. And so you had to go like Blockbuster or Family Video or something like that. And so for me, when I was a kid, what it looked like is I had to convince my parents that it was important enough to get in the car, to drive me to the movie store, to wait for me to look around the whole store, right? To find that one video that was like, this is the one, and then rinse it, and then hope that within the next five days, they would remember to take it back and return it. Right? It took a little bit of persistence, and that's not the world that we live in today. If you want to rent a movie now, you don't even have to leave your couch. You can rent it from your, your phone or from your TV right there, and you don't even have to return it. It'll do it for itself, Right? This idea of persistence is fleeting to some degree, but it cannot be when it comes to prayer. I get a lot of prayer requests through emails and text messages and conversations and things like that. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'll see those things and I'll, I'll pray for them once and then I'll hit delete or I'll, I'll just like check it out. It's almost like a duty, right? And this idea of persistence and prayer isn't just that you pray a lot more than you are right now. Persistence in prayer is that you pray for the will of God repetitively. The things that I pray about over and over again, those are the things that I truly care about. Those are the things that keep me up at night. Those are the things that I go to God about over and over and over again. My kids, my wife, my ministry, I pray persistently for God to show up and to do something. For his will to be done. It's, it, it's not this. I don't end with, well, I prayed, but it just didn't happen. Maybe sometimes we, we pray like that, but maybe the things that we care about, the things that we're persistent about, we don't end, well, I prayed, but it just didn't happen. We pray persistently for God to do something. Jesus tells a parable that um, was just fascinating because it's, I, you probably never even heard of it, but it's in Luke chapter 18. It's just a couple sentences, but Jesus tells this parable about this woman that just asked for something over and over and over again. And finally, the king gave in to her request. And it's an odd little parable, but Jesus prefaces the whole thing to his disciples by saying this, I'm telling you this to encourage you to never stop praying. To, to, to not stop praying, to encourage you to be persistent in your prayers. Persistent prayer is a powerful thing. It's powerful for you. It's recognized by God, and it can change things. Maybe the reason that you aren't experiencing the type of prayer life that you need is because you're not persistent. You're not going to God over and over. Maybe you've, you've given up. Maybe you've said, well, it just must not be the case. We have to be persistent. I love this other story from Acts chapter 12, um, where Peter, who has done incredible things for the church, uh, has been preaching the gospel and doing different things, but all of a sudden he's captured. He's a prisoner. And, and King Herod has put him in jail. And in fact, Herod has already killed James. His friend James, who has also been doing some, some, some preaching and stuff like that, he's killed him. And the scripture tells us, Luke writes in Acts, that, that Herod had planned on doing the same thing 
to Peter. And so Peter finds himself in a dark place. And Herod was going to wait right till after Passover was over, and he was going to bring Peter out, and he was going to kill him so that everybody would be pleased. And so Peter finds himself in prison, sitting between two guards, and he can't do anything about it. But here's what we find in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. It says this, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be? I mean, Peter is in, a, is in a place of need. He can't do anything for himself. They can't do anything for him. They can't reason with Herod. They can't bribe the guards. They can't get in there and break him out. They can't do anything for him, but they can pray for him. And that's exactly what they do, and they pray earnestly. This word earnestly in the Greek is this word ektonose, and it means to stretch out the hand. It means to be stretched out, earnest, resolute, tense. And so here's what I want you to do to understand what I'm talking about. Take out your hands, if, if you have your hands available, and just put them out like this. Come on, do this with me. And stretch out your fingertips as far as you can. Just stretch them out. Just, you, feel, you feel how that's tense? Do you feel how if you just stretch, stretch them? That's what this word means. This word earnestly, they were, they were praying to God earnestly for Peter. I mean, you feel the tenacity there. I mean, this is what it means to be persistent. And I want you to know that when you have something in front of you that you need to pray about, you need to pray about it, but you need to pray about it fervently. You need to pray about it earnestly. Pray with persistence no matter how long it takes. You keep praying and you keep asking. This is not, I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is not a recipe for God to give you whatever you ask for, right? This is, this is not a recipe for that. This is a way to be persistent in your prayers. What Paul means when he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Not just before meals, not just before bedtime. You pray persistently. And when you do this, I believe that your relationship with God changes. I believe that maybe your prayers would change to be more aligned with his will. Paul didn't command the, the Christians to, to pray for him one time. He wanted his churches to be devoted to prayer in every aspect and be consistently going to the Father. That's what we all need to do as well, persistently pursue God through prayer. Here's the second thing. Second thing I want you to know is that we need to pray with passion. Pray with passion. Paul continues and he says, being watchful. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And we gloss over that and say, well, what does that mean? That means to be vigilant. It's the opposite of slothful or routine. Again, the Greek word for this is gregorio, and it really, it means like being alert as a guard on duty. That's really what this word refers to. So this person, uh, being watchful is being vigilant. It's being passionate because your life depends on it. I mean, you can't care about anything else. You care too much not to be focused. Caring is showing passion, and that's really what this means. This is, this is something I'm really interested in because I know I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very old, but I've been a Christian long enough to have been around church long enough to have heard plenty of prayers that show zero passion. They're routine. And they don't come, up, come from a place of passion, and, and here's the deal. They usually begin with, dear God. Now, I don't want to call you out if that's how you pray, because that's, that's not my intention in doing this. But one of the things I like to teach students, I work with high school students, and when I, when I teach them how to pray, it's not to start with that. Because prayer is a conversation. And you would never sit across from the table from me and say, Dear Matt, because if you did, I would think something was really wrong, right? I feel like I'm in trouble. That's not what God is asking of us. It's meant to be a conversation. I like to teach students 
to, to pray to God, to talk to God like he's sitting right across from you. You want to know why? Because he is. He, he's there. He's already there. He's right next to you. But the second reason is I want them to talk to God like he's real. Because again, he is. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't pray to a fictitious God that we chant prayers to. That's not the relationship that he wants with us. We pray to a living God that is looking right back at you when you talk to him. That's how we should be praying. So here's a practice for you. The next time you pray, pray with your eyes open. Now, if you pray while you drive, that's definitely good advice, okay? It's always, that's always a good thing to do. But the next time that you pray, pray with your eyes open. And see if you don't pray differently. See if you don't look at a chair and pretend that you're talking to Jesus who's sitting right next to you, who's looking back at you, and see if you don't phrase your words differently. See if you don't pray this, dear God, thank you for today. Please keep us safe on the way home. That's not how you would talk to Jesus if you're looking at him. So let's start praying like we're talking to him. When I was in college, I took a class that was called Faith in Film. And um, I'll be honest, I took it because a lot of the homework was watching movies, okay? So now don't judge me, okay? You would, you would do the same thing. In fact, I know, I know two students right now who just took a class on pirates, okay? So everybody needs a little break every once in a while. Everybody needs a little breather in the schedule. And so um, the, the homework was watching movies and then writing papers on how faith was portray, portrayed in that, that film. And one of, the, one of the shows, the movies that we watched was a movie called The Apostle. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Not very many people have. But it's a 1998 movie with Robert Duvall, who is this charismatic preacher, and he has to face these different obstacles in his ministry and his life. And there's this scene in this movie where Duvall, whose character's name is Sonny, is caught praying. He's at his mom's house, and um, he's caught in his room, and he's praying to God. And ever since I've seen this clip, I have just, it's been etched into my brain about what it looks like to pray with passion. And so I want to show you this clip, and uh, we'll talk about it. Check this out. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman. But I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. Hello? Miss Louie, it sounds like you got a wild man over there carrying on and hollering and whatever. 
Oh, well, that's, that is my son, that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever, because people got to get their sleep into it. You know what time it is? Hello? Now I'm calling you, Jesus. Talk to Sunday. You don't talk to Sunday tonight, it seems like. <laughs> Is that what your prayers look like? Are you that passionate to God about what you are praying for? Maybe a better question is, do you, do you care that much about what you're praying for? I'm gonna guess that there's people in this room to, this, this morning who have prayed like that. You have been that expressive, that emotional with God because of your relationship with it, but I can also guess that there are people in here who think, who believe, who have been taught that you can't talk to God like that just want you to consider that maybe praying with passion looks differently. Timothy Keller says this, prayer is not a passive, calm, quiet practice. Now, I've quoted him twice, and I want you to know that if this topic really interests you, then you should read his book. It's called Prayer, Experiencing Intimacy and All with God. And uh, it's a fascinating read, but this is what he says. Prayer is not a passive, calm quiet place. But that's exactly what we were taught that it is, right? That's exactly what we're taught. Prayer is quiet. It's personal. It's timid. But to be watchful, to be alert, you are the one who cares so passionately and so deeply about what you are praying about. It reminds me of a story from the Old Testament, from 1 Samuel chapter 1, where we, we see Hannah's story. And Hannah's just a small part of the, the scope of the Old Testament, but her story is so significant. Um, because of this, this moment that we see of an intimate moment between her and God. I just want to read it to you briefly because um, Hannah was a, a woman who wanted a child and she didn't have a child. And so she had this moment where she just, I mean, she just laid it all out for God to hear. And this is how, this is how it goes down. First Samuel chapter one, starting in verse nine, it's on the screen. It says this, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you going to keep staying drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This is what praying with, with passion looks like. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every time you should be, every time you pray, you should be yelling at God or talking so, so crazy that people think that you've been drinking. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if you don't ever have the moments where you are pouring out your soul, you are praying to God with so much passion that it just looks different and feels different, maybe you're, maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe there's something more there. I believe the sooner that we move away from safe routine prayers and move to big, bold, and passionate prayers, the sooner that we have a better 
and more intimate relationship with God. Here's the next thing I want you to see is that we need to pray with thankfulness. And so we're going back to our very first verse. Paul says he wants us to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now this is the thing that, I'm gonna do this quickly because this is the thing that we're either really good at or we're really bad at, right? Either your prayers are filled with thankfulness or they're just filled with God asking God for stuff, right? You, maybe you find yourself on one end of the spectrum or the other, but Paul, Paul never fails to mention the importance of thankfulness as he writes his letters. Let me give you a couple examples. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul tells us that thanksgiving is the natural result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter four, Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything that we should pray, giving thanks as we make petitions known to God. First Thessalonians five, Paul tells us that giving thanks at all times, giving thanks at all times is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants for us. And in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, Paul tells us that as believers, everything that we say or do should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus as we give thanks to him. Thankfulness is, is one of the things that our prayers are filled with from the beginning. And for some of us, it just doesn't come naturally. And I think that's why when I was a kid, I was taught this acronym of how to pray to, to remind myself to make sure that I am thankful in my prayers. Now, I'm guess that most of you have heard this, but maybe some of you haven't, so maybe it can be helpful for to, to you, but it's called the ACTS prayer. And so um, it's an acronym. And so the A stands for adoration. That's you lifting up and praising God for who he is, right? It's, it's adoring God. The C is confession. It's recognizing that, that you're not a perfect person, that you sin, that you need a savior, and it's, it's confessing those things to God. The T is thankfulness. That was to, to help us to remind me to be thankful to God for what he's done and how he showed up. And the S is supplication where we ask God to do things for us or to show up uh, or to supply us what we need. And that's one of the ways to remind yourself to be thankful in your prayers, to, to, balance, to balance your prayers. And the interesting thing is that, that we know that Jesus cares about this. We know that Jesus cares about us being thankful. You remember that story in the Gospels where he, where he heals 10 lepers, right? And so you get the story where Jesus heals these 10 lepers, he sends them off, and they're healed and they're cleansed. And then this is how Luke records the end of the story in chapter 17 of his gospel. He says this, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, Jesus even cared about us being thankful for what God has done for us. The thankfulness for what God has done for you is an essential part of living, and it's an essential part of your prayers. It's what enables you to have faith and trust that what you ask of him, because you are thankful for what he has already done for you. I'm going to move quickly to my last, the last thing, because it's, it's so important. The last one is this, is that we need to pray with intercession. Now, that sounds like a weird word, but here's what Paul says. Again, going back to that very first verse, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, and then he says, and he ends it with saying, and pray for us too. Pray for us too. That means for others. Intercession means praying for other people. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting here in church, and as soon as the service ended, I was, I was sitting next to this, this couple, and this lady looked at me, and she recognized that I was on staff, and she said, you're, you're on staff here, right? And I said, yes. And she goes, I just want you to know that I pray for everyone on staff every single day. And it brought me, like, in the moment, I was like, thank you, but the, as, soon as, I, as soon as that conversation ended, it just brought me like great comfort to know that someone, someone is praying for me. And I don't know if, if you've ever felt like that, but wouldn't you like that for yourself to know 
that someone is praying for you, someone is, is lifting you up by name, maybe your first step in this is to begin praying for other people yourself. In fact, maybe I think that's one of our biggest faults in our prayers is that we pray too much for ourselves, our circumstances, our needs, when in reality, maybe prayer has a lot more to do with intercession for others. In fact, we know that Jesus prayed a lot. Like, we get that. We see that all throughout the Gospels. But there's one time that we get, like, an up-close look at actually what, Je- what Jesus prayed about. And if you glance through John chapter 17, you see that. I mean, Jesus prayed for other people, like, a lot. And maybe this is something that we're missing, that, that prayer maybe needs to look a little bit about intercession for other people, a lot more than about yourself. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people, for other people. This has to be something that we learn to make a part of who we are. We're trying to do this here at at church, we're trying to make this a part of the DNA of our church. I mean, if you go outside these doors right in the middle, when you leave here and you look on the left-hand side, you see a, a, a prayer wall. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or seen it. In fact, I think most of us just walk by it every single week. But you could literally stop there at that wall before service, after service, come in during the week, and there's a little piece of papers on the wall, and every single one of those pieces of papers are filled with prayers and requests for other people's salvation. And how many of us just walk by it every Sunday, never even notice it? We're trying to make praying a part of who we are here at this church. But the truth is, and you know this and I know this, is sometimes we need prayers. That that we need prayers. You you need to make your prayer requests known to other people. Allow other people to pray for you. Over and over again in Scripture, we see Paul telling the churches that believers to pray for the other believers. Pray for other people. But notice what Paul asks them to pray for in our text in Colossians chapter 4. This is what he says. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. His hope is that the church would pray for him to advance the gospel. It's remarkable that in all of Paul's Paul's writings, all of his prayers that are recorded, written down, his prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. None. And and they had plenty of circumstances that needed changing. Persecution, difficulty, hardships. But that's not the prayer. The prayer is to advance the gospel. It's such an important element is is recognizing what you are praying for. James, the own brother of Jesus, recognized this. And this is what he says when he writes to the church. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you are asking with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Your motives need to align with God. And that's why Jesus said, your kingdom come, thy will be done. When you pray with intercession for other people, you're praying that the will of God would be done in their life and it can change things. But the reality is, is that many of us are neglecting to pray regularly for anyone but ourselves. Not always, not always, but regularly praying for other people has to become a part of who we are. And being open for other people to pray for you is just as important. Every week, every single week at the end of our services, we have people come down here, prayer counselors, who are willing to intercede for you. Who are willing and saying, I'm here and I will pray for you. Whatever you tell me to, I will pray with you right here on the spot. And most of us, 
I mean, sometimes people, we, we come forward and we pray, but most of us sit out there and we say, not today, or I don't need that, or I don't need to walk down there and have somebody to pray for me. This has to change. We have to be a church that prays for each other and is willing to be prayed for regularly because we know the power that prayer has. A couple, two months ago, I was in India. And one of the things I got to do is I got to sit in Dr. Lull's office and talk to him about life and ministry. And one of the things that we talked about was prayer. And he told me that through his network of churches with CICM, if, if we were to submit a prayer request, like if someone from Mount Pleasant would tell Dr. Law a prayer request, he could send it through his prayer chain. And within 24 hours, 10,000 people in India would have prayed for that. 10,000. Think about that for a second. I mean, that was one of the most compelling things personally about my time in India, aside from all the ministry that happened, was, view, was understanding and having a different perspective on prayer. Because, I mean, listen, they live in a part of the world that's like, it's literally dangerous to be a Christian. Your home, your family, your life can be on the line if you decide to follow Christ. And prayer is not just something that they do as a part of their service to transition from one thing to another or before a meal or before bedtime. No, 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 no. Prayer is at the center of every single thing that they do because they know that they rely completely on the intercession of God for the well-being of their ministry and their life. They truly believe that prayer changes things. They can't succeed without it. Church, do, do we believe this? Do we, do we know this? I want you to know that without a devoted prayer life, you'll never have the type of relationship or be the type of follower that Jesus has designed you to be if you are not devoted to prayer. So here's just what I want to end with. It's like probably the simplest challenge I can give you. It's this, just do something. Just, just do something. And I don't care what it is. Like pray with someone, ask someone to pray with you, journal your prayers, set a reminder on your phone to pray more often. I don't care. I literally do not care what it is, but we have to do something. We can no longer just take prayer as a routine, a thing that we do here and there. Prayer is so important. It is essential to our relationship with God. And I believe that when we do these things, when we pray with persistence and passion and thankfulness and we intercede for other people and ask them to do the same thing for us, things change. I don't have the time, but I could go all throughout Scripture and show you examples of how prayer has changed things, has changed the course of what God's going to do because people pray. In the end, we're not enough. We can't rely on our own talents, our own skills, anything about us. We are not enough unless God meets us where we are. We need him. And prayer is the place that we meet with God and we dwell in his presence. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we close. God, you are a good God. Hey, you love us so much. You've designed us to be in a relationship with you, to love you, to talk to you regularly. And God, I'll just be honest, at least for myself, we're guilty. I mean, we're just guilty of not holding up our end of the bargain. We're not in, we're, we are not with you enough, spend enough time with you enough. I mean, God, I just pray this morning that you would just change our perspective on prayer. Help us to understand that, that prayer is the way that we meet with you. 
that you've already shown us how much you love us. You've, you've sent part of yourself to become us, to die and to raise from the dead, to conquer death so that we could spend an eternity with you. God, I pray that we recognize that the way to a relationship with you primarily starts with a conversation, with talking to you. God, I pray that you would help us just, I don't know what it is, God, just to declutter our lives, to get rid of things, maybe to reprioritize things. Help us to do something, to pray more, to pray more passionately, to, to, to have a better relationship with you because you love us so much. I pray in this moment, God, whatever it is, whatever you're working on people's heart or mind, that you would just, just free them from whatever's holding them back, just to respond to you, to make a change, to, to, to love you more closely. I don't know what it is, God. I just pray that you would help us to be free to respond. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.